Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of a middle. The middle of a war. Friggin' ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, three friends came together to review movies. Together, they formed the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house. Nay, 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 nay. The galaxy for all things movies and entertainment. I'm your Jedi Master and host today, Andrew Ogier. Let's meet my Padawan apprentices. Oh, I know where this is going. The Force <laughs> is strong with this one, as is his Metachlorian count, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> How we doing, everybody, today? I hope that we are all super excited for this view. I've been looking forward to it for some time. And he was voted by his other Padawans as most likely to murder younglings, Mr. Jake Hensler. Oh, that was even <laughs> worse than I thought. <laughs> That was so much worse than I expected. I thought you were just going to tell me I was the Sith, not murdering younglings. <laughs> oh I my mean, god. I had I had a response plan too, and you totally threw me off with that. Good. That's what I'm here to do as your Jedi Master. But anyway, Great. as the Jedi Master of this show, the Middle Seats Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you are joining us for the first time, which is very possible considering the nature of this show, welcome. Here's our structure. Our show is divided into three segments. We start the afternoon or evening, or wherever you're listening to us, with Lobby Talk. We have a discussion where one member of the crew picks a general topic, and we just go back and forth on it, like you would with your friends in the lobby of a movie theater. Then we move into the biggest news in film and television of the week with our news segment, and then we move into our feature review of the week of the biggest movie that was released in theaters or on video on demand, depending on what we're doing. This week, it's a pretty clear choice. We're going to be talking about the eighth installment in the Skywalker saga, Star Wars the Last Jedi. Before we get started, we have a couple of house cleaning things um, to kind of get into. A lot of us, if you've been listening to us before, you've been listening to us on YouTube, and thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. However, if you're just joining us for the first time, it is possible you are joining us from either iTunes or SoundCloud. We are now on both, so you can subscribe to us on either of those sites and tell your friends about it. Um, you can lock your phone and listen to us when you're on a run, when you're traveling somewhere. That's now the capability that we have. And we also want to thank Kaylin Byrne for the beautiful artwork renditions that she did of us in the middle seat spirit, as we say, here in the holidays. <laughs> so thank you again to Kaylin. <laughs> anyway, that's all the house cleaning we have to take care of. Um, let's get into the show, guys. There's no wasting time today. Let's move into lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. So... Every year, the National Film Registry, which is associated with the Library of Congress, they choose 25 films to preserve in case of some kind of global cinema catastrophe, per se. But movies that are seen as important in American history, and this year a few noteworthy films they chose to take in, were Titanic, Dumbo, Field of Dreams, The Goonies, and two that I thought were quite interesting, Memento and Die Hard. All widely renowned works and classics in their own right, but that got us thinking over here in our middle seats. What do we think has the potential to be a future classic? Memento, which Nate is bugging out over there, is the youngest <laughs> film on this list, being released in the year 2000. So we decided to limit our search from the year 2010 onwards and see what recent movie we think will be a classic. And since I absolutely love the film I chose and it's my topic, I'm going to start off 
with what I think is already one of the greatest action movies of all time, 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. Stunning America with six Oscar wins and another four nominations, old man George Miller staged some of the best action sequences possibly ever, but even aside from the spectacular action, there's just so much to dissect here. A beautifully crafted post-apocalyptic era that throws you right into the mix of the chaos. Just everything about this movie is well made. His his cult ideas on the, the groups in the movies, his godlike villain ruling over his oppressed people, other engaging characters and story arcs, and the story tells you more visually instead of verbally. And I don't know, I could go on and on, but <laughs> yes, you could. Yeah, I gotta I gotta stop myself somewhere. <laughs> Jake, uh, Jake, this is yes. like one of your top five movies of all time, right? Um, I don't have a set list. It's it's definitely like top fifteen, might be top ten. I've seen it like four and a half, five times now, and I just, I adore it with every rewatch that I, yeah. I come across. It's amazing. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I love this movie. Jake is super noncommittal with those best movies of all time thing. He'll be like, I, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Like, he'll, <laughs> I, I think, I think, I don't have a set top 10, but Mad Max is a strong, strong contender for it when I finally make one for, for sure. Right. And I think you really touched on, uh, Nate, if you don't mind, I'm going to transition to mine because he kind of, Go for it. Hit on the points that go with mine as well. Uh, Mine is also an action movie, but I think the common theme with what makes a modern classic for me is just that it's so memorable and so well made that it's something that will last the test of time. Those movies that you mentioned, Memento is extremely memorable because of its story structure and its ingenious direction. Exactly. It's an original movie. Die Hard might not be the most original movie, but John McClane is one of the most... Um, engaging protagonist of all time. He's iconic. Yeah, he's an iconic protagonist, and we have an iconic villain in that film with Hans Gruber. Oh, yeah. My choice, um, Edgar Wright's Baby Driver hits a lot of those iconic marks. It's got really memorable characters with Jamie Foxx's performance, John Hamm's performance, of course, Ansel Elgort as the lead character. Um, It is amazingly directed. It's one of those movies that you can dissect over and over again as far as the filmmaking goes, as far as the use of music and cinematography goes. Um, and it just has really memorable set pieces. The opening sequence is an all-timer. It's possibly one of the best opening sequences of all time, but that the rest of the movie is no slouch either. It just has this rhythm about it, makes it infinitely rewatchable, and just, from start to finish, an absolute pure delight. And that's what a lot of these most memorable movies are that add, get added to the National Registry. We want to preserve them because we love them so much. And this is one of those movies that's really easily digestible, but also well made. It's a great mix. I think I think it'll stand the test of time. I think it's the most interesting one we'll probably talk about as far as Lobby Talk goes because I I've seen Baby Driver. I saw it twice in theaters, and it like Andrew said, it's so rewatchable. It's just it's a blast from start to finish. And I know some people who don't quite think of movies like we do are going to be like, obviously movies are fun. That's why you go to watch them. But <laughs> there's different levels, and my God, is Baby Driver fun. Right. I think at the very least, it's going to be used in classrooms of how to visually edit something uh, for a very long time. Just the, yeah, that's a great the example. way that it teams up music and sound design into the action is really, really cool. I think it's something that uh, film students especially can really appreciate. Well, Jake, you were saying that people go to the movies for fun. Nate's choice, I know, is not very fun of a movie, <laughs> but I think it, it broke up some. People. But I think it's just as valid a choice as the R two. Yeah, <laughs> this one, this one is a fun experience in a way, um, and definitely something that you will not forget. My choice is Gone Girl. This film is 
a great, great psychological thriller by David Fincher um, and features some really, really good performances by Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. Um, really great stuff. He even gets a good performance out of Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry. Yeah, Tyler Perry's impressive. <laughs> yeah, but for real. <laughs> I think the the reason that I picked this one is that it is one of the few real good whodunit movies, a real good mystery that's come out in recent times. It's kind of a dying genre just because people are so used to seeing plot twists now that audiences just aren't as easily fooled by this kind of stuff. Um, but I think Gone Girl is a great exception to that. It's based off the novel of the same name, and this movie is riveting to watch. <laughs> I think it's funny. So you guys know me pretty well, and you both know I adore Mad Max Fury Road. Like, this is one of those things where I'm... Mad Max is easy royal throne, no question about it. Maybe even higher. I might make up something else for it. It's just... I love that movie. But Gone Girl doesn't fall that far behind Mad Max uh, Fury Road for me. I absolutely adore Gone Girl as well. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. You know, it's funny because the two, the two movies you guys brought up, if I were to rank them in my head, I like them better, both of them, than Baby Driver. Uh, Mad Max is a top 25 movie for me. Gone Girl's a top 35 movie for me. Baby Driver's pro is like top 75. It's in there. Um, but the reason I picked, by, I picked Baby Driver for two reasons for this discussion. One, I think it's the most interesting to talk about because it's so recent. The fact that it stands out to me at all as something that could be a modern classic is impressive. And two... It's out of the three we're bringing up, it's the one that I think is most widely accessible, if that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. Jake, you know the snobby people, or the, I guess not the snobby people, it would be the opposite of snobby people that go to Mad Max Free Road and that are like, oh, it's, there's no story. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I want to hit those people because that's not true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I get so mad at that. Um, oh, and and then you have the people that, don't, Gone Girl is just too dark for them. Baby Driver hits all of the points that make a memorable movie but also is like this wildly entertaining, widely accessible movie too. So I think that makes yeah. an interesting contrast to the two of yours. Yeah, no, definitely. And f so for like an example, for like my mom probably wouldn't care for Mad Max Fury Road, but somebody who doesn't care for plot twists and excessive plots wouldn't care for Gone Girl. But Baby Driver can hit almost, almost every audience member to some extent. Yeah. Baby Driver is just an incredibly unique version of a story that so many people have done, like just car chase, action, thrills. But what Edgar Wright brings to it is just this unbelievable new take on the tale as old as time crime genre kind of thing. Now I'm thinking of an Edgar Wright movie. <laughs> Boy, would that oh be sad. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Do you have any other like movies that you want to bring up you, as possible? The other one I was thinking about using is uh, La La Land. I adore La La Land as well. I think that'll be a classic. It'll be. I think it'll be remembered by people who loved it, people who hated it, people thought it was pretentious, but also getting uh, famously losing the Best Picture race at the Oscars. But it'll be remembered for a bunch of things. But I think it'll be remembered by a wonderful, well-made, magical movie by the young Damien Chazelle. As much as I love Moonlight, I think La La Land will be the more memorable film come in ten yeah. years. It's just I like it's just the it's nature. It's the same of way the that film. Inception is more memorable than a King's Speech, but King's Speech mm -hmm. still won the Oscar. It's yeah. Part of the things where uh, it doesn't need to win an award to become embedded in popular culture. And I think all the movies we picked did a really good job of bringing that to society. Yeah, for sure. From that 2010 class, I think The Social Network will also have a potential um, impact on the films that we see in the next five to ten years as far as dialogue and story structure goes. 
So basically what I'm saying, Nate, is you made the wrong David Fincher choice. Congratulations. <laughs> you had a Get one out of two chance and you got it wrong. Get the heck out of here. Just kidding, of course. I love Gone Girl. That'll do it for our lobby talk. We're going to head into the theater and get ready for Star Wars The Last Jedi. But before we can start watching it and talking about it, let's get into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So following up on a major story that we covered a couple of weeks ago, that is eighth official development now. The Walt Disney Company has bought crucial assets of 21st Century Fox and have consolidated in one of the biggest media deals of all time. It is valued at $52.4 billion total. This is huge. What this means, Disney buys all of specifically the movie and television properties of 21st Century Fox. They buy their regional sports networks. They buy a couple of international holdings. Fox gets to keep Fox News, and they get to keep network sports. So they get to keep, when you watch the Super Bowl on Fox, that is still obviously a hmm. Fox production. Just a short list of the franchises that now belong to the Disney Corporation. Avatar, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Alien, Predator, Die Hard, The Simpsons, Family Guy, Planet of the Apes, Kingsman, Home Alone, Night at the Museum, Ice Age, and 24. Wow. And that that's just scratching the surface. Those are the major ones. We could keep going as well. <laughs> um, guys, we addressed this earlier, what the implications of this could mean. Just basic reactions beyond what we might have initially said, or recap what you initially said. Nate, let's start with you. Yeah, so a couple podcasts ago when we first covered this story, I was skeptical, and this just makes me all the more nervous um, just because the fact that with this buy, Disney now owns 40% of all entertainment production. That is a stupidly high number. Um, regardless if you think Disney is a good or bad company, and there's arguments to make that this might be the best person to have bought Fox's properties if they were going to sell anyway, um, regardless of those opinions, the fact that Disney just owns so much, monopolies are not good. They stifle competition, and it reduces the amount of innovation in the industry. Disney is a creative company, but if you have no other options to see movies, especially in the animation department, you're only going to see Disney movies by Disney. And they're just going to keep chugging out a formula. <laughs> and you have no other options because that's all there is. Are there some fun possible um, realities here like X-Men joining the Marvel movies? Sure. But at the end of the day, I think we are giving Disney a way too much power for this. Jake, what do you think? Uh, yeah, when we when we first talked about this, I was like, combining all these superheroes could be amazing. What's not to like? But I didn't think about how much they actually own. Like The Simpsons, for example, that really sticks out to me. I don't, I don't want Disney in charge of The Simpsons. <laughs> Here's what I want them to do. I want them to kill The Simpsons. Wait, do you mean literally kill or like? No, no. Okay, I was gonna you say what I Disney's mean. a family friendly company. You can't kill The Simpsons on screen. <laughs> There have been like four presidents since The Simpsons took the TV. <laughs> yeah, but they keep predicting the future, so. Yeah, that is cr pretty crazy. They predicted this whole buyout, by the way, in another crazy twist. Go ahead, Jake. Yeah. I'm sorry, oh, I didn't my. mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, so I think there's potential for some great stuff, and I think it'll be really cool at first because all of a sudden, you know, when Avengers 4 wraps up, they can throw Spider-Man in an X-Men movie. They can bring Deadpool into an Iron Man movie. They can do all these kinds of crazy matchups. 
and it'll be super fun and super wild and super crazy right off the bat. But I'm worried that about a few things. I'm worried that their formula will become, you know, something that everybody will, every superhero will have to just abide to. And I worry that they're going to make Fox's TV shows too family friendly, like the Simpsons and, you know, other things that they may have inherited. Like the, and like the Planet of the Apes trilogy just wrapped up beautifully, I might add. I don't want them to all of a sudden reboot it and just try to make money off it again. Like I want them, I want that trilogy to rest. I want those characters to rest. And if they have to reboot it in 10 years, fine. But I don't want a family friendly version of that. And I don't want it soon. So I don't know. I could see, I could see a lot of good and a lot of bad coming from this. It's interesting that you took that route with it because I think you're absolutely right. You're not wrong. But the way I'm thinking of it in my head and I, from the, from the vibe I got from Nate too, is that we are thinking of this as a financial stronghold on the entire business. Um, Legally, this is not technically a monopoly. However, it would be improper to not use that word because we just talked about recently the impositions that Disney is putting on theaters for Star Wars, um, how they are making them take a certain amount of the profits, how they're making them show certain screenings. With this amount of a stronghold on the theaters now, with these amount of franchises in their back pocket, that's only going to get worse. Those kind of Absolutely. regulations yeah. are only going to get worse. Yeah. Disney's going to take more of the profits, and they are going to hold the theaters hostage. It's it's bad. It's not very. It's not a good thing. It yeah, really it's a isn't. Lose lose. As as exciting as it is creatively, and Jake, I was a hundred percent with you when I first heard this news. That was the first thing that went to my head. But then as I thought about it more and more, it just fe- it doesn't feel good. It feels like a wrong turn. And especially with the the stunt that they're pulling on the Last Jedi, like you said. You know, they're basically strong-arming um, theaters into giving them more money over Star Wars. What if they start doing this, like you said, with other franchises? That's I, I actually didn't even think about that, like what they're doing with theaters. Right. So with more franchises under their belt, maybe they'll adapt it to TV now too. Who knows? Honestly, that's just scratching the surface of what they could do. Uh, and it's a little scary to think what they could do with these specific things. Um, creatively... I think they're going to leave Family Guy alone. They won't censor Family Guy. You won't see the mouse's face in front of Family Guy, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they they won't do that to Deadpool either. They'll find ways to still exploit the creativity. Well, R-rated Deadpools make, make yeah. money, so they're not going to tamper Right, that, exactly. Um, so I'm not too worried about censorship per se. I'm more worried about what this means for the industry in general. And we'll have to see because – this could be potentially disastrous, <laughs> to be completely honest. <laughs> we might we might have some lawsuits yeah. coming up. Um, I know I know that there's been at least talk about breaking up just how much they don't, but who knows? Yeah, and we will continue to track these developments for you here on the Middle Seeds podcast as they come into our Middle Seeds newsroom. Anyway, moving on, um, we thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about a, a smaller film that's coming out in a little bit. Since Thanksgiving... Darkest Hour, which is a story about Winston Churchill during World War II, um, has been playing in limited release. It's getting a lot of Oscar buzz for Gary Oldman's performance as Winston Churchill. He looks completely unrecognizable in Joe Wright's film. And an article from, I believe it was The Hollywood Reporter, came out kind of going through what his process for the transformation was. And it's pretty jarring um, to see the work that he did in order to possibly nab an Oscar nomination and possibly an Oscar win. He was under 14 pounds of foam and silicone each day as he did his job. The really startling thing that came out of the articles, though, is that he smoked about 20,000 cigars throughout the span of production. Yeah, 20,000. Of course, Winston Churchill is very popular for his cigar look. 
Um, but this, these were so many that Gary Oldman basically got nicotine poisoning from the production. Um, you can see the performance for yourself. Darkest Hour is supposed to go wide this Friday. Oldman is very much expected to be in the top five for the Oscar nominations. Whether he'll win is a different story. Um, but I think how we wanted to open this up is kind of talking about the transformations that actors go through for an award. Are there any striking examples that you can think of? Yeah, I think one of the biggest examples that's going on even right now is Christian Bale. Uh, he's recently yeah, he's, transformed he's into ones. Dick Cheney, and he's well known for putting on pounds and taking him back off. Um, his transformation for Dark Knight to The Machinist, where he was buff Batman to this like really skinny drug addict. Um, and then back to being Batman in just the span of a couple years, putting on like 50 pound changes. It's nuts. Yeah, I think it went Machinist, Batman Begins, then um, Prestige, which is he was normal. Then he did Dark Knight. Then he got fat for the fighter. Or no, 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 excuse me. He got skinny for the... Real skin. Yep, got skinny, really skinny for the fighter, buff again for Dark Knight Rises, and then fat for American Hustle. Yeah, that was the order. And yeah, it's just nuts. And now he's fat again for, like, unrecognizably fat for this Cheney biopic with Adam McKay. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's the prime example. He yeah, is. but I think there's um, there's other examples, like like Leo, what he went through in The Revenant. I'm pretty sure Tom Hardy does a good amount. I heard fast. I've heard Fastbender does a lot. Um, Day Lewis. Day Lewis is the one I was trying to think of while I was listing those guys off. He adapts himself like crazy. I forget what the movie was, but somebody said he he um, to take on the role of whatever the movie is. I can't remember. This is you know bad, but he literally like would refuse to eat anything that he couldn't forage himself, and then he just lived yeah. off like nuts and berries in the woods for a couple months to put himself into this character's shoes. He probably forgot he was doing a movie. That's yeah, he is was. crazy. <laughs> Method actic, man. It messes with your head. And right. Jake. Gary Oldman using cigars here blows my mind. Like, thousands. I can understand need, wanting to get into character and using actual cigars during takes and probably going through quite a couple packs um, because movie takes take a long time. But literally thousands? Yeah, that's disgusting. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. I, nicotine poisoning. That's like... The lengths that these actors go to for their roles and the dedication to their craft goes underappreciated. And that's how you can separate the great from the all-timers, mm -hmm. I think. For sure. Um, the people that will put their bodies on the line for this kind of role. Obviously within limits of not being stupid. But, like, there's just something so method and crazy about it. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal does this as well. Yeah, it's it feels like a box you gotta check off as an actor through <laughs> some kind of crazy transformation to show your range. I'm pretty sure uh, somebody wanted to cast Christian Bale in some kind of, like, NASCAR biopic thing, and he went to his doctor to kind of talk about dieting, and his doctor was like, dude, like, I, you actually can't do this. Like, you could die. That's his, <laughs> probably his least favorite day of the year, every year when he goes in. Like, you don't go, you go, you don't go into that office, and he's just kind of like, you know what? You're perfect. You've been doing a great job. Of just yeah, the doctor's got to be like, great oh, job, God Christian. damn it, Christian Bale's coming in today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, yeah, it, it was just an interesting tidbit that we thought we'd bring up. Uh, Darkest Hour seems to be very much worth going to see. Um, it'll become available to you widespread throughout the next couple of weeks, no matter where you live. Anyway, from the big screen to the small screen here in the holiday season, a lot of people, they love to, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, kick back, relax, watch some of their favorite Christmas movies, or if they don't even have a choice, a Christmas story for 24 hours a day on TNT or TBS. Um, it's, it's a tradition. Um, movies like Elf, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, and I could go on and on and on. 
the raging debate for years and years. Jake, what's been the raging debate for years and years? Which movie? Um, whether or not this movie is a Christmas movie. We actually just talked about it for the uh, the National Film Registry. Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie? <laughs> exactly. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And we now have statistics to back up that argument. In 2016, Dish is reporting that 2.4 million people watched the movie Die Hard during the holiday season. 1.3 million Americans watched Die Hard on Christmas Eve, of course, when the movie takes place. That's more than Christmas classics like Home Alone or The Santa Claus. Die Hard even cracked the top 10 for that date. And now, Dish is now making it available for free for a limited amount of time during the holiday season. So, I feel like that's a pretty damning stat right there in one way um, <laughs> towards this debate. But if... If any of you guys have to challenge what makes a Christmas movie, I'd love to hear it. Uh, Nate, what do you think? Oh, I I am firmly in the camp that Die Hard is a Christmas movie if your family wants it to be. Um, <laughs> that is so noncommittal. Oh, Nate. Yeah. What an answer. <laughs> um, seriously, I, I have no qualms with that. I can't say that our family watches Die Hard um, on Christmas. But we definitely believe that it is a Christmas movie, and usually at least once in the holidays. Um, even on New Year's, I think we've we've done like a Die Hard marathon. Um, I think I got my dad the whole box set for Christmas one year, and I just I just think it's fun that everyone can come up with their own little traditions, and it seems like this one's really caught on as like the manly man's Christmas um, when mom and the girls are away at grandma's house or something here you go die hard i think it's fun ah now i have a machine gun ho 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 exactly (laughs) at the very least it's a fun holiday movie night that you can have sometime in december so jake let me rearrange the question for you because i feel like i know what you're gonna say how do you define a christmas movie um you have to sing christmas songs loudly enough for all to hear I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> what what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it, you have to incorporate. It's got to be you know Christmas E or like around Christmas time, um, and it's got to have you know little Christmas carols here and there. I guess I don't know. So is the subject matter about Christmas? Is does the movie have to be about Christmas, or can it just Not take necessarily? Place? So Iron Man three is a Christmas movie then. That was the first thing coming to mind, mind too, Drew. No, because it doesn't all take place during Christmas, only a little bit of it. That's why Die Hard is is debatable over other movies that aren't. I lean in the camp that it is a Christmas movie because it takes place around Christmas. It's got Christmas lights in the movie. In the movie has Christmas decorations in it. It's got Christmas themes in it. They talk about Christmas. Christmas music plays at the end. I lean towards that it is a Christmas movie, even though it's about people being murdered and saving the day from terrorists. <laughs> I find it hard to disagree with that. Um, it's such a minute point that's so hard to defend one way or the other. Because if somebody was to tell me that Die Hard was not a Christmas movie, I really wouldn't argue with them too much. I wouldn't care enough to argue. I'd be like, okay, fine. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what you want to think. <laughs> but like, I'm not gonna fight you. Die Hard's been marketed as a Christmas movie. Like my one of my coworkers at where I work, um, he brought in a children's storybook. For Christmas time, like twas the night before Christmas, but it was Die Hard. Like it's That's been fantastic. Mar- I want it. Can I find yes. it on Amazon? It was fantastic. <laughs> I would assume so. It rhymed and everything. It was beautiful. It was a little bloody, so don't give it to an actual child. But if you do that already, 
you're probably already showing them Die Hard around Christmas time anyway. Um, but yes. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my it's, God. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how the book ends, too. I think you might have just spoiled the end of the book, Jake. Um, no way. Anyway, it's, it's a discussion that's, going, that's happened for years. It will continue to go on for years. But at least 2.4 million Americans think Die Hard is synonymous with Christmas season. So that's that's interesting. Some food for thought. Anyway, it's time to get into our feature review, the one everybody's been waiting for, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Something inside me has always been there. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Let the past die. Is not going to go the way you think. Fulfill your destiny. Star Wars The Last Jedi needs very little introduction, but just in case you do, it was directed by Ryan Johnson, who is a auteur in the sci-fi genre. He's made films like Brick, Looper, The Brothers Bloom. It is the eighth installment in the main Star Wars franchise, tenth overall to make it to theater, ninth to actually count, because I don't count that Clone Wars bullshit. Um, <laughs> it stars, among everybody, Mark Hamill, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Carrie Fisher, Oscar Isaac, Damal Gleeson, Andy Serkis, Kelly Mintran, Benicio Del Toro, and Laura Dern. We're not going to get into story details, because if you've made it this long without figuring out any parts of the story. God bless you. I'm not going to ruin that for you right now if you've gone in completely clean. But guys, we've got a lot to talk about here, so we're going to make these non-spoiler thoughts brief and as succinct as possible. So without further ado, Jake Hensler, with two years of anticipation, what did you think of Star Wars The Last Jedi? Well, like you said, on a basic of basic terms um, and avoiding any kind of spoilers whatsoever, I will give you the quick rundown. I think it's extremely complex. It's a good different, and it's wonderfully character-driven. There's great arcs, themes, tones. I get the humor in the first. Some people are complaining about humor. I think there is some humor in the first like half hour that feels a little out of, out of place. Overall, I absolutely love where the story went. I love the acting. I love Johnson, Ryan Johnson's take on Star Wars. And people need to calm down with their outrage. They're being overdramatic Powderpuff Girls. <laughs> we'll get into the controversy a little bit. I have a lot to say about that. I'm ready to go to war with anybody who wants to. So Nate Lungarini, will he have? To, will you be the Empire to his rebellion? <laughs> I want to be clear. This is my opinion. Uh-oh. I'm very happy that people are enjoying Star Wars, but overall, I was not a fan. It's it's not outright bad by any means, but I found it myself comparing it to a Zack Snyder movie where there is a lot of spectacle but not a lot of substance. You take Whoa. that back. <laughs> Whoa. Um, now, most of my issues are with plot, so I'm going to have to wait till spoiler section to really defend Fair myself enough. here. Um, but like, I'm not expecting a airtight bubble when we talk about plot in movies, but I expect a little bit of water tightness. This movie is leaking buckets from my perspective here, and you guys can disagree with me all you want. My opinion... I'm glad that Star Wars is taking a new, fresh direction. I actually enjoyed most of the changes that they did. But 
as a film and taking the Star Wars glasses off for a second and looking at it just from a storytelling perspective, I was not on board. This movie was a little too long for me, a lot too long to me, if I'm being honest, especially in the middle. The beginning scene is fantastic. The final act is pretty darn good. But I can't forgive a movie that honestly bored me halfway through. Whew. Jeez. I appreciate the honesty, but my goodness. My goodness. (laughs) This will be an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah. Let me start my point by reading an excerpt from an article from SlashFilm.com that was posted over the weekend about... The, the Last Jedi. It was by the, um, Jacob Hall, who's one of the writers. It's titled, The Last Jedi Doesn't Care What You Think About Star Wars, and that's why it's great. Let me just read from this real fast. The Force Awakens and Rogue One, a Star Wars story, want to please you. They want to hit familiar beats and remind you why you love Star Wars. They are so much fun. The Last Jedi doesn't want to remind you of anything. It doesn't care about your relationship with Star Wars. The only relationship that matters here is Ryan Johnson's relationship with Star Wars. And for the first time in a long time, here's a Star Wars movie with a proper point of view... One delivered by a storyteller who is unafraid to shatter a universe he loves to break down the heroes that mean so much to him. That's what elevates The Last Jedi beyond a simple retread. It asks you to take these characters seriously in a way other Star Wars films have not to acknowledge them as something beyond a vessel for escapism. Right now, Star Wars feels unsafe. And that is the essence of why this movie really struck an amazing chord with me. I was getting tired of the retread. Um, I really did enjoy Force Awakens. I enjoyed Rogue One. But this franchise needs to push forward if it's going to be progressive in any way, if people are going to stop calling it a retread. And by subverting expectations, by taking huge risks, by surprising and focusing on themes and complexity, like Jake said, and moving things forward in really new directions, the movie's ballsy, it's ambitious, and Star Wars is fresh again. It's a brilliant blockbuster, one that knows exactly what it's doing, how it will affect people like Nate, who feel that the plot is a little unwieldy and that the film is too long. For me, personally, it's going to get a visceral reaction out of you, whether you love it or you hate it. Some people have been very blindly hating it, and we'll get into that more specifically later. But this new direction for me is a breathtaking, amazing experience made by some a true visionary with ideas that I really truly think will stand the test of time. Um, now, the plot itself, it does go off the rails at certain points. However... It is in service of amazing character work and some of the finest performances in a Star Wars movie that have ever come and beautiful cinematography and beautiful exploration of themes. And I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, I love this movie. I've seen it twice now. It's one of the most entertaining movies of the year while also being one of the most complex blockbusters in a long time. Um, And I think Jake and I, this is going to be kind of a tag team. (laughs) Because I feel like you're kind of <laughs> well, on the same plane. I you. am dual wielding lightsabers to make sure I can fend off at least a little bit of your attacks. Because I know this <laughs> is going to be going to be a little bit more of an argument than a conversation. <laughs> well, I I'm glad Andrew brought that up because I've already had some people Facebook message me and text me and talk to me in person about their issues and complaints. So Nate, I know you're not alone. Um, but I'm glad Andrew brought up the episode seven thing. Episode seven was hey everyone nostalgia and fan service, and yes, it's good, and we're introducing new characters, but here's some nostalgia for you as well. Here's some formula for you. And that was fine. I I really like Force Awakens, but Episode Eight was like, I don't give a shit about your fan service anymore. That's what J.J. Abrams' was for. This is mine. We're moving, new, we're moving ahead. 
with these new characters and we're giving them their time and their story. And I loved almost everything he did with it. Almost everything. <laughs> I like the little caveat of the almost. almost it's not there, a Jake. perfect movie, but I I thoroughly enjoyed basically all of it. Nate, I think it's very interesting everything you said. It didn't get a negative reaction out of me because you know why? I can tell you're going to be balanced and I can tell you're going to be fair. And that has not been a thing that's been going on in the internet recently. With a big franchise like Star Wars, you're always going to have people that take everything to an extreme. Yeah. And when they don't like a movie... They're assuming the director is taking it out on them personally. That is not where I'm coming from at all. I am just trying to take a step back and say, did I like this film? And I, I honestly really didn't. I think that this film has some of the best scenes in the franchise as a whole. But I also think it has some of the weirdest or just outright bad decisions that I have seen on a screen in a while. Um, and again, that's not me saying I love Star Wars the way I love Star Wars, and if you change that, that's bad. No, I liked the new changes to a lot of the the characters here, and uh, developing on the characters that I fell in love with in The Force Awakens. But plot is one of the most important factors of a movie for me, and I wasn't on board for the plot, so I wasn't on board with this movie. Okay, we're going to have to get into that in a moment, because I feel like I'm going to disagree with a lot of what you're going to say, and I think Jake <laughs> is also going to disagree but before we do that, I think it's important that we get into our ratings before we transition into the spoiler section, obviously. If you are just joining us for the first time here on The Middle Seats, we operate on the seat scale. Basically, that's our rating system for movies, the best seats that, or the worst seats that we would sit in. Running them down really quickly, if we love a movie, it's a royal throne. We have our plush recliner, which is comfortable. We have our wooden seat, um, which is also this middling movie that has some great moments but also some flaws. The inverse of that would be the damp lawn chair, which would be a pretty bad movie with some good moments, and then a movie that is just pure shit gets a sleazy outhouse. So, Nate, why don't you start us off with your rating? <laughs> okay, okay. Again, this is my opinion. I'm glad that people are enjoying it um, because this movie definitely has some fun moments. But for me, there are some things that just stick out as sore thumbs that prevented me from getting on board. And I, I jumped off before the ship got to light speed. This is a damp lawn chair for me. And Jesus. you might be, oh my you might think that that's harsh. And honestly, I might be a little bit harsh on this movie. But at the end of the day, I think that it's, I just can't like it. I'm not going to force myself to like something that I thought was stupid or silly or boring during my watching experience. I agree with that notion, but... Some really good moments, um, but it just wasn't enough for me to tip it in the positive scale here. You don't think that that damp lawn chair is being influenced by this being a Star Wars movie? Would you be going a little easier on it if it wasn't a Star Wars movie? Um, honest, Honestly, no. The issues that I have with plot are the same kind of issues that I would see in any other movie. I'm really trying to take the fanboy reaction out of this equation. I, I just didn't like it as a film. Wow, but respect, you know, you gotta you gotta stay true to yourself. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Jake, what did you think? <laughs> I'm gonna throw something out there that I don't share often because I know I just don't want to deal with the inevitable backlash that I would get from this statement. But for me as a whole, I think the fit, the grand Star Wars puzzle is amazing. I've never been blown away by any individual piece personally. 
So no, Andrew, Empire Strikes Back is your number five, six movie of all time? Five. I like the ones that most everybody else likes, but I've never been personally blown away by an individual one. And that honestly, that changed over the weekend. I was blown away by this one. And I teeter in between um, uh, Plush Recliner and Royal Throne. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning for my first ever Royal Throne, guys. I really am. I was wow. so overly impressed by this movie. And it was... Even even more than I had even hoped it would be. Um, I'm officially blown away by a single Star Wars movie. I think it adds to the beautiful puzzle that Star Wars universe is. And I've, I've seen it twice. I loved it both times. It's not perfect, but it leans into Royal Throne for me for the first time ever. What I learned this week, if I had to start my essay, is that <laughs> people see very different things in Star Wars than I do. Yes, I'm here for the space. I'm here for the adventures. I'm here for the great characters. But I think the thing that makes Star Wars unique is this almost like Shakespearean drama about family. These like philosophical ideologies. That's what makes this series different from any other sci-fi franchise. And this movie takes those ideas and pushes them well into the future and evolves them in a way that I honestly was not expecting and I was floored. I was expecting to really like this movie. I was not expecting it to take my breath away like it did. This new direction gets a lifetime performance out of Mark Hamill. It crafts a fascinating, fascinating villain. Uh, It gives us a tremendous protagonist. It takes all of these side characters at the expense of a short runtime and a few tidy storytelling decisions, and it gives them these arcs that fit into the movie's central theme, which is that this is the first Star Wars movie to reject the light and the dark. This movie embraces that area in the middle This movie's about the gray side of the Force. It is the most beautiful Star Wars film. It's the most thoughtful Star Wars film since The Empire Strikes Back. Um, It's funny. It's light on its feet while also being dramatic. There are few problems I could find with it. There will be things that I will say that are negative, but this movie is absolutely a royal throne. I wouldn't be doing it justice to my two viewing experiences if I didn't do otherwise. Is that your first two, Drew? Um, on the main show. I I gave one in freeze frame. But yeah, so the, of the main show, this is my first one. <laughs> you know what? So it's the great though. One show where you guys both do a royal throne is the one where I don't like the movie. How about that? <laughs> and I think this really speaks to the critical fan divide that's been going on right now. Uh, the movie has a 93% of Rotten Tomatoes. It is, I believe, the highest rated Star Wars movie, if Very. not right on the same level of Empire Strikes Back and the original and Force Awakens. However, fans have been a lot more split on it. And a lot of the reasons of that split are what we're going to go into in our spoiler section. This is the point, folks. Take your earbuds out. If you have not seen The Last Jedi, run. Look at the time codes. Go to the final thoughts part. If you have seen The Last Jedi, if you're one of the gajillion people around the world that have, come into our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. So guys, I when I was writing down thoughts for spoilers, I didn't even know where to start, to be completely honest. Um, <laughs> I think there are just so many things that this movie covers, and it, it just was a roller coaster ride for me. Nate, I guess since you have the problems, why don't you start? <laughs> Let's start okay. with your one of your biggest problems. Yeah. Do we want to start with problems, or do you want to start with the stuff that I liked to get that out of the way? I want to hear I problems. Hear problems yeah, I can't take yeah, it anymore. Okay. Me neither. Well, let, let, me, let me make a comparison to you. This movie does what, even what Empire Strikes Back did, 
where they split up our main cast to do a couple different stories. Right. So we have Ray and Luke, we have Poe on the ship, and then we have Finn and Rose, Rose being one of the new characters added. So all in all, if I had a if I had to say yay or nay to all three of those subquests, I I did like uh Ray and Luke stuff. Some of it was um kind of samey in terms of like old uh, master who doesn't want to teach his student kind of stuff. Um, but overall, I think their arc was definitely the strongest, and I'm positive on it. I was not a fan of most of most of the other two arcs. Um, like, there's some redeeming moments, but uh, Poe's arc is really dumb because all of his plot moves because he isn't freaking talking to the purple-haired lady. Uh, you know? I, okay. Go ahead. Keep going. Uh, but... he, they make an artificial conflict because the purple-haired lady doesn't feel like Poe's worth talking to, and that's why they send Rose and Thin on this arc that ultimately ends in failure, and we can get into why failure works or doesn't work in a minute. Um, but all in all, ends up being a pointless side quest um, because he just doesn't want to talk to the purple-haired lady. And then her not telling them that there's a plan, there's a planet that they can go to, is just another artificial conflict. And I think the most damning part for me is why on earth can't the Empire catch up to a ship? You're telling me that a giant spaceship can't move slightly slower than light speed to catch up to a ship in front of them to cut them up and blow them up. There are ways to generate conflict, but the way this conflict is generated, especially on Poe's story for me, is really lazy. Come up with better excuses as to why they can run away from the Empire, but have a reason that they're always just a little bit ahead of them. Or just change the substance altogether. I can't get behind a plot that just strikes me as stupid. Whether it's a Star Wars movie, whether it's a space movie, completely unrelated. I just thought a ship running away from another ship because of fuel problems, when one ship has the capacity to go faster, but isn't, annoyed the shit out of me. I could not get on board. Wow, I think you're I think you're way off on the Poe stuff, personally. She doesn't owe Poe any answers. My understanding was that she was telling the people on the bridge her plan. Poe has already proven himself to be a hotshot. He got half the... Not half, the whole bombing squad killed. Why does he have to be privy to this information until the last possible minute? He does not need to know the plans that are going on on the bridge. He's been demoted. This this girl doesn't think anything of him since Leia's last wish was to demote him. It's all about Poe regaining the respect as a leader and completely disregarding any kind of authority and almost getting everybody killed twice throughout this movie. That's but then he has no opportunities to fulfill that arc and become a good leader until the last 15 minutes when they're off of the ship. All of his time on the ship is a waste of time because he isn't learning or doing anything that uh, works toward the final plot. But you clearly see him learning later when he tells Finn to peel off. Yeah, and that is a one scene at the end of the movie. I had to deal with Poe's story for the entire movie. Where there are a lot more than just one scene. There are dozens of scenes where he isn't contributing anything. He helps them find the way out of the cave. Like, he understand he is the one that understands what Luke is doing and takes command from Leia. And Leia straight up says, don't look at me, look at him. I'm talking about just Poe on the ship. I like the last, okay. I like the last 20 minutes. Once they get to the salt planet, I actually really enjoyed that. Um, but 
that was not the majority of the movie. That was the last 20 minutes. But you can't isolate a character arc like that. Like, the character arc spans the entire film. You're right. But I shouldn't only like the character arc because of the finale. The whole character arc is parts one, two, three, four, and the finale, right? Jake, what do you think? Yes. <laughs> um, I kind of thought that a little bit too when she just was withholding information. I was a little like, so you could have stopped a mutiny by just telling him, but at the same time, why she shouldn't have to if, if you know, it's a general not telling a lieutenant. And yeah, just because somebody lower than you is acting out doesn't mean you have to just give in to them. He's got to learn. He got and he, and he did. He went through this whole arc and he figured everything out. Okay. But the purple-haired lady never gave us a reason that that information had to be secret. You know, like, there could have been a spy aboard the ship or sending stuff to the Empire. She could have at least stated that she feared that. But because the movie gave us no reason to care about why she was keeping it a secret, that just strikes me as kind of lazy TV drama. Characters not talking to other characters for the sake of the audience not knowing what's going on is lazy screenwriting to me. I I thought it was the movie setting up a red herring that she could possibly be evil or that she just doesn't trust Poe. Now, okay, if you want it explicitly said, that's fine. That's different. But this is the way that I interpreted it. And I think this movie doesn't want to spell things like that out for you. Moving on from Poe's arc, I think the weakest part of the film is Finn's side quest. It kind of feels like a short film in its own, uh, what the casino set piece. Um, I think it's well done. I enjoyed every second of it. And it ties in the end really well. But during, it kind of just ends. Right, exactly. But that would be the, the only part where I'd be like, okay, you can snip five to ten minutes from here. But it plays a big part in Finn's arc overall, where he's kind of, he's again caught in the middle between rebellion and empire and what his place in the war is. That's one of the things I, I really, really enjoyed and wanted to talk about. There is a awesome, awesome theme in this movie of of young new characters coming into their own. So Luke and Rey, Rey coming into her own. Leia and Poe, Poe coming into his own. Snoke and Kylo, Kylo coming into his own kind of anybody Finn coming into his own like there's this whole this whole like apprentice and something looming above them and then breaking through that and running full force into this final movie and they all tie in together at the end with amazing amazing character arcs I loved all of that not to mention masters of their own like Luke getting his own arc as well yes but Finn Poe Ray um Ray and Kylo all get these awesome character arcs where they're they're no longer learners. They are coming into their own as leaders. Good or bad, they're into those positions now. Right. I think this is just one of those things that we're just going to disagree on. I just I just wasn't on board with a lot of these character arcs that you're talking about. Um, Ray aside, I really did like Ray, and I thought that she did a really good job here. Um, I do like Kylo Ren as a character, but his arc for me is is odd because... Force Awakens left us on this note where he wasn't sure if he wanted to be good or bad. And then he chose bad. And then this movie sets him up with the exact same choice again, where he doesn't want to know if he's going to side with Rey or not. And when Rey ditches him, he chooses bad again. And we're left with the same villain. He's changed slightly in terms of his relationships to the new characters, but he hasn't actually changed himself as a character. He's still... Evil. I think that's a recurring theme in his character, though. So as right. as an apprentice, he was betrayed. He was betrayed by Luke. He feels betrayed by Rey in in the end here. Yeah. He feels betrayed by Leia when she sends him off. So when Rey in the end says, "I can't go with you," that sends him off, and then he wants to get out. He wants. He's out for all of them again. He is. He is by far for me the most interesting character. 
because I'd agree with that. I do. I really do like Kylo Ren. I think Adam Driver is fantastic in the role. I think it's less about him being good and him being bad this time around, and more about abandonmentness. He is stuck, and the movie puts a nice contrast in between him and Ray's journey, where they're both looking for their place in this war, and Ray finds a support group because she picks the light, where Kylo is left with no one by the end. It's actually pretty devastating. And he does it to himself. He does it to himself by killing Snoke. So now he's in this leadership position with right. no idea and how to handle it. he was banking on Rey being the support group for him, that he could turn her. Now, I actually, I thought the, the scene between the two of them, right after he kills Snoke, and right after that, f- first of all, fantastic action sequence. Really well choreographed, really well, really well done. Um, that scene where they kind of talk about what their next move is going to be. She, he's talking about a fresh start, something completely different. Just everything. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he says it. Let the past go. Snoke, Luke, a Resistance, First Order, all of it. Get rid of all of it. Just start over. This movie's message is about obliterating the too. past. And I, I, I think that's the best thing that this franchise could do. But Ky, just Kylo is such an interesting character. And I'm really excited to see where they take him in the future. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I jump back to Finn? Because I think we're all in agreement about Kylo. Yeah, yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. So, again, Finn, I really interesting, fun character that we were introduced to in the last movie. Again, the pointlessness of uh, his contribution to the plot, my opinion, your opinion, uh, bananas, potatoes. <laughs> the <laughs> um, Going back to what you guys are talking about, great arcs. I'm not on board with his arc at all because it's the exact same arc that we got in The Force Awakens where he spent the whole movie saying, I need to run, I need to get away. And he does the same thing here where he literally says it, does he not? I'm not running away anymore at the end of this movie. We already saw you not running away in the last movie. You don't need to have that character arc a second time. That's not what his arc is to me. His arc here, it's less about running away and more about becoming a leader. Becoming the person that's like lays down on the grenade. You know what I mean? He has fully devoted himself to this cause now. In in The Force Awakens, he never goes... To, that arc is incomplete. Because you know, the only reason he's helping the Resistance at the end is because he wants to rescue Rey. Now he sees the cause overall and realizes how, by interacting with Rose and seeing what she sacrificed to be a part of this cause... He's fully on board now, is my okay. interpretation of that. Okay, I, I can see that a little bit clearer now and might have a better understanding of what the director was going mm. for. Right? I didn't, because I didn't think he was ever running away either per se. When he was quote He was unquote, running away in the beginning of the movie. He tried to get into a space pod. But that was to get away so Ray wouldn't come into the, the chaos. Yeah. Okay. He was not ditching the rebellion. He was ditching because he wanted to protect Ray from coming back to a wrecked ship. And yeah. Like I, Nate, I see where you're coming from because there are similarities, certainly. But I think it's a progression from where he was at Force Awakens. Now he is a part of a cause. Okay, okay. Yeah. I think the movie, like I said in my non-spoiler thoughts, this movie really deals with morality in a way that a lot of Star Wars movies haven't. And I think the movie's at its best when it's dealing with the morality between Luke, Rey, and Kylo. Um, and I really loved how Johnson's screenplay slowly but surely gives us a he said, he said with the Kylo Luke incident. Mm-hmm. I really, I thought the way that we got three different versions of that story, and we still don't know that that third version is true, 
we're still getting it from Luke's pers- warp point of view. But just the way that it divulges information completely changes how we look at Luke Skywalker and completely changes how we look at Kylo. And those dynamics continue to shift throughout the movie in ways yeah. that you're just not expecting. I, and I think I think that whole thing works really well. Yeah. It is bloodline. Vader, conflicted. Ben Solo now, conflicted. It makes sense that Luke would be conflicted in this whole thing as well. Yeah. Everybody around him with force powers is conflicted between these struggles as well. So it makes sense that he's not fully on board either. Think about from Logan earlier in this year. It's a similar arc to what's going on with Wolverine and Professor X in those movies. These are these beloved characters that we've known throughout these years in a different point in their lives. Luke very directly says, there's a reason I am out here and I don't want anyone to find me. It is because he is a broken man that needs to be brought back. And Ray, to an extent, brings him back. But the thing that completely brings him to the other side is one of the most wonderful scenes in the movie. I I loved the way that they treated the Yoda scene in this film. The Yoda scene was cute. It, it was it was fan service done correctly, I think. <laughs> where um, they said, all right, fans don't like the prequels. How can we kind of tailor to that a little bit? I know, let's have Papa Yoda in there preaching the moral of the movie. And that's handing off the baton to the new cast by literally burning down the old Star Wars. It was, might be a little ham-fisted as to the morals of the movie, but it was done in a sweet, sincere way um, that I have no problems Nate, with. Nate, can I get your, your opinion on Luke in this movie in general? Because he's a big point of conflict for a lot of people, and I've already talked to some people about it. I want to hear what you think. Yeah, so I think long-term fans especially are not happy with them poising Luke as a killer or just flat-off killing him off kind of unexpectedly at the end. We have no indication that him using force projection is something that is going to kill him. We get the, like, the little tidbit, I came to this island to die, and then at the end of the movie, he dies. Um, like, it's a little bit of an indication, but it, um, for me especially, his death just comes out of nowhere. Is it earned? I guess, but it wasn't compelling for me personally to have him just kind of killed off without any explanation whatsoever, or even that much foreshadowing in that regard. Um, overall, I liked Mark Hamill's performance. His crotchety old man was pretty fine. Um, and the final fight scene, uh, especially with him facing all the AT-ATs at the end, is desktop wallpaper for sure. Like, that final fight scene was beautiful. Oh, beautiful visually. I loved what they did with him here. Um, the, the problems that people had, I did not have problems with. And what people liked, I loved. Right. Like, I thought the way he went out was amazing. So not only does he get an arc in in episodes four, five, and six, he comes into this new trilogy and gets another arc. I just think it works on so many levels, like coming full circle with the sunset, him saving Uh, all of them, him helping Rey to find her place. Um, And then even what he says about the Jedi kind of throws back to to Lucas's prequels. When he says the Jedi were never perfect either, they were flawed and all that stuff. I think that really, really works. And I like that little tidbit that they- Yeah, when he says the Jedi need to end, he makes a pretty compelling point for it. He actually yeah. does. They were never perfect. And in their heights, the Sith grew an empire. Yeah. I was like, damn, you kind of make sense here. <laughs> I found, I did think there was enough foreshadowing for his death because I found it poetic. It was less him dying per se, air, air quotes for an audio podcast. So the audience knows. <laughs> it, it was less about him dying and more about him giving himself to the force. He had closed himself off to this yeah. thing that he was such a part of for so long that he had finally fulfilled his purpose he had finally confronted Kylo and had gotten the best of him. 
Kylo is left on this earth with the thing that he wants the most unobtainable and Luke is giving himself up to this thing because he has reopened himself up to this thing that he has been studying oh, yeah. for years. I thought I thought it I was beautiful it. and the shot of the sun coming in shading over <laughs> his uh his temple. Okay, well that's a not a half bad transition there. Beautiful shot there at the end with Luke. Um in terms of a shot, I think this might be the stupidest shot in the whole franchise for me. And you might guys might argue but Princess Leia's Mary Poppins scene where she floats back to the spaceship. What are our thoughts? I'll give uh, you I hated it. <laughs> I didn't hate it because I think it fits in with just how powerful they've implied before how powerful Leia is. It it's, what? Or could it be. took where <laughs> Vader has implied at points that she he could turn Leia at points. She's never had formal training, but she has just as much Skywalker blood in her. So this was the only plot development that was controversial that took me a second to be like, okay. Um, but I, I was on board with it. One, because she didn't just get up and start walking after it. She was in a coma for like several hours afterwards. Um, I didn't necessarily have a huge issue with it, but it was the one thing where like, if you brought it up, I wouldn't fight you too much on it. Yeah, because when it first happened, I was like, uh... yeah. Like, for me personally, it just comes out of nowhere, um, and even just taking the Star Wars out of it, if you would, if this was your first Star Wars movie and you didn't know what the Force was... Well, why would you be going to this if this was your first Star I don't, Wars? I don't... I don't... Just no. hypothetically... We're <laughs> you can't do that. Um, <laughs> if this was your first Star Wars movie, nobody else ever mentions this. Leia just went full god mode. She can fly. <laughs> and nobody even mentions, oh, how'd you, like you know, survive that, Leia? Or do you have a stronger connection to the Force now, Leia? There's nothing. She's just, she just comes back alive. There's no payoff to that moment. And that makes the moment all the sillier to me. Okay, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fight I'm you okay with that, that gripe. <laughs> um, That's one of the things when I say it's not perfect, it's not perfect, but... Um, we still haven't even touched on some of the major spoilers, per se, um, that Rey apparently is not related to any Skywalker Thank or any kind of Solo or Kenobi. She is just a lost child left behind. I was so happy with this. Yeah, I, I'm fine with it too. I really liked it. I, I love they they borderline gave gave the audience a big finger because Kylo straight up says, you're nobody, you have no place in this story, and yet here you are. I wanted to stand up and just clap. I was like, yes, this is what I wanted. Yeah, they troll the audience three times, especially in that... Uh, the ground vagina scene in Octo where she goes down there yeah. and she sees the mirror and you think well, you're gonna, well she's going to see the parents. See, I don't get why so many people are celebrating the fact that this movie is flipping off its fans, you know, or is deliberately trolling them. I don't get why that's a selling point to your movie. I'm okay that this movie didn't have fan service. I'm actually really happy that it didn't. It was refreshing that way. But to deliberately piss off your fans is a step way too far in the opposite direction for me. I completely disagree. I think the one thing, Ray's parents not being anybody, works perfectly, and I'm really, I'm really, really glad that they went in that route. I'm glad they did too. Something I wasn't happy with is killing Snoke with basically no payoff to his character whatsoever. I don't care if he's a one-off villain and his point is to die, but he wasn't even interesting up to that point because we didn't get enough time with him. They built him up in The Force Awakens, and this movie says, all right, 
the fans won't be expecting this. Let's just kill him off in this movie. And that's what this movie did, and there's no payoff for doing it. It's literally just for that knee-jerk reaction. I don't agree with that. I think it's trying something different because it is reprioritizing what the series is about, which is about the characters. Um, it is it is much more interesting to make Kylo the big bad guy and kill off Snoke there than to drag out the mystery of who Snoke... Who gives a fuck who Snoke is? I really don't think it's that important. Well, I actually do. I kind of wanted to know, but I'm not, I'm not distraught about it. It, it is like, much <laughs> more important that we see Kylo ascend to this point at this point in time. That would have been great if we had more scenes throughout the movie where we saw how Kylo's relationship with Snoke was. We got, like, little morsels, but it, it wasn't enough for the payoff to be worth it, in my opinion, to have him kill off. Oh, see, yeah, I totally dissing him in his first scene, and then his second scene straight up saying, oh, yeah, this connection you and Ray think you have, I did that to fuck with both of you. Now, come here. Let me show you the power I have. And then to top it off, <laughs> they, his weakness is his cockiness. He got so full of himself and was so sure that his plan was in act, he overlooked it. But it all happens in one scene. I don't get why they rush that so I much. I was all right with it. I think it all works. But do, do you not feel like they rush that same conflict at the end of Return of the Jedi? Because it's pretty much the same sequence. Yes, I see the comparisons. But again, isn't the point of this movie to be different than the original trilogy? Why are we borrowing the same prop points in that perspective? Think about Captain Phasma, too. They ripped off all the worst parts about Boba Fett. This character comes back for one fight scene, and then she's gone. Most overrated character of the year, everybody. She's just there to look cool, to be completely honest. Exactly. Why are we ripping off that part of Star Wars? The part that didn't work in the originals. You want this to be more crowded, Nate? Because we're already pushing two and a half hours. I didn't need more Phasma than I already did. I, I agree Phasma... For how cool she looks doesn't do a lot. This movie was messy for me, and that's my biggest issue. Oh, I don't think messy. Uh, no, I would say messy, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think this movie is trying a lot of different things, and it's and it's doing things that people were not expecting. We've gotten so ingrained in this culture in our head, like, oh, who's Ray's parents? Oh, who's Snoke? All of these different theories and everything. Oh, who's connected to who? That we've forgotten exactly why we liked Star Wars in the first place. And this rearranged it, back closer to what I like. Now, this might be completely undone going into 9. Remember, we still got a whole nother movie coming up. They could completely readjust this to what you like because the man who set it up in the first place is coming back to do it. But as it is right now, I love the trajectory that we're headed towards. I have no idea what's coming next. Yeah, I hope Abrams continues with this. If, but. if it makes you feel better too, I, I'm on the same page on that front. I like where the franchise is headed. But I thought the road to get there was especially rocky in this movie. Unless you guys have other things to say, I think one last point we should touch on is uh, Carrie Fisher. She's alive at the end of this movie. What do they do with her? I think this movie's going to jump a couple years. Episode 9 is going to jump a few years. And they're, unfortunately, it's, it's hard to avoid. But I think opening crawl is going to say she's dead. I, that's what I'm expecting. Yeah, I, I don't see how they could do it any other way with right, Rob's death. I don't see any other way around it. I think title crawl, just like Drew said. Yeah, I think that or or something along the lines of, you know, in the very beginning, they'll throw to Poe and he'll talk about, you know, lay it and sacrifice yourself for nothing or something like that. Yeah. I really thought Carrie Fisher was wonderful in this movie. I thought she was great. I liked everything but her Mary Poppins scene. Yeah. Fair. 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 <laughs> right. Um, we I haven't addressed the motherfucking porgs yet. Um, <laughs> and that's a good thing, I think. Um, they are in it the perfect amount for me. 
They they're yep. the little cute little yeah. punctuations. Yep. They don't topple the empire. They're just cute little comic relief. I adore them. They're cute. Well, there's nothing else I got to say about them. We'll start wrapping up soon. I promise. There's just so much to cover here. Uh, yeah, if you've seen the movie, you understand. you get it. Yeah, you you're here for the ride if you've seen the movie. Um, we haven't addressed my favorite visual shot of the movie, which is Laura Dern's uh, vice admiral taking the oh, the hell. car the car the car the spaceship through into hyperspeed through the fucking first order ship. <laughs> Unbelievable. Everybody in my Sick. audience, you could he- feel the temperature of the room drop when that happened. <laughs> Sick, yeah. I've seen the movie twice, and both times the audience did the same thing. This was the Zack Snyder moment for me, because artistically, gorgeous. Like, we haven't seen anything even remotely close to that in a Star Wars movie before, and it was great. But <laughs> my issue with the scene is that that was the, I think... Third time we've seen a character almost sacrifice himself in the movie, and it cut a lot of weight for me um, for when Finn tries to do the same thing, not even that long after, maybe, what, 10, 15 minutes after? He tries to do the exact same sacrifice himself scene. There needs to be emotional weight to moments like that. And I think if you had done that scene, but instead with a purple-haired character, someone like someone we knew or um, even freaking Admiral Akbar or something. That's well better, you know? Um, there, were, there, were, there, was, there was extraneous circumstances around the Admiral Akbar. The, the voice actor for Admiral Akbar died recently. Oh, so that's, that's, really? That's why they killed him off so nonchalantly. I guess. Yeah, so. I had a friend text me about that, and I was like, oh, I got nothing for you. I, I feel that. Um, so, again, back, back to the light speed scene, though. Great shot. Loved it. Um, but it just undercuts the future emotional shot with Finn doing the exact same thing literally a, a couple scenes after. Um, okay. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think we're ever going to come to the same terms on that. Uh, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I think our biggest point of contention in the conversation is that we are way off on our, uh, analysis of the Poe arc. Um, the Poe arc and I did not like Finn and Rose's arc at all. I, I'm a little, I'm, a, I'm willing to concede a little bit more with you there, but I, the Poe arc I think is actually pretty brilliant um, overall. We got to move into final thoughts here. <laughs> we said one more thing like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Jake, why don't you start this time with your final thoughts here on Star Wars The Last Jedi? Ooh. So, so Nate, I've heard your problems and they're, they're reasonable. I don't necessarily agree with them, but they're reasonable. The people who were saying, like, I've heard so many outrageous complaints and now there's a petition I'd like Disney to like take it away from the Star Wars saga in general. Just people got to calm down. But this movie is like they put this extra oomph into it that I was not expecting. And I loved. I absolutely loved. So I, I'm going to reaffirm my, my royal throne. Maybe, maybe, you know, a third viewing would throw me off. I don't know. But right now I love this movie. I think it's one of the best movies of the year. Um, I think it's interesting how controversial it is. But I'm willing to go to bad for it every time. I loved it, and I I've seen it twice, and I will go. I probably will go see it again. Well said, Jake. Well said, Bravo. <laughs> I'm like it's, I'm like in the Senate where you stand up and you 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 clap for your your party or whatever when they propose a bill. Um, now it's time for me to get some <laughs> totally my fair. thumbs down here. Nate, what were your final thoughts? <laughs> final thoughts. Again, this is my opinion that I didn't like it, and that is that is fine if you like it, and I'm happy for you. 
Honestly, Jake and I are more likely to get attacked, I think. Yeah, by fans? It's very 50-50. The vocal minority are nasty, man. Uh, well, again, internet people are different than real-life people, and real-life people can be much more reasonable. That said, out of the three main stories here, I really liked what they did with Rey, I liked what they did with Luke, I liked where Kylo's direction is heading, I think the franchise is in a good trajectory moving forward. This movie just was really muddy for me because... I was dreading, literally dreading, going back to certain storylines because they were nowhere near as interesting as the parts that I cared about. The arcs just didn't have the payoff that I wanted out of a movie like this. I don't think I went in with ridiculous expectations, um, but it just didn't land for me. Go out, you probably already saw it, you're probably going to see it a second time, I'm probably going to see it a second time, Um, but it just wasn't there for me. I have seen it twice, um, and... I can't wait to see it a third time. It it blew my expectations out of the water. This movie subverts everything that you were looking to see when you were going in there. It Every chance it gets a chance to do something new, it takes advantage. I have to applaud Ryan Johnson for his commitment to these crazy, crazy things that he's trying. It has all the goods, folks. It I really think the test of time when people calm the fuck down... Well, maybe not Nate, because Nate's... Nate's opinion here is very set in stone with plot stuff, and that's fine. The, the peop- You assholes that are very emotionally reacting and getting way over the top with it and saying really negative, negative things and hurtful things about the franchise, I think if you take a step back in a couple years, you're going to, if not like, appreciate a lot more what The Last Jedi is trying to do, especially once we have the full picture moving forward. Um, I am thrilled that he's going to get to do his own trilogy and carve out his own path in the Star Wars franchise because, gosh darn it, he's earned it for me. I love this movie. I think it is in the top ten of my year, uh, probably in the top five. It's worthy of a galaxy far, far away, is what I'll say. And that's how we'll punctuate this long, long discussion on Star Wars The Last Jedi. Thank you for joining us here on the Middle Seats Podcast. But before we go, Nate, where can our star-traveling friends find us on the internet. So here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, both at The Middle Seats. And our email for any questions, comments, or suggestions is themiddleseatshow at gmail.com. Reminder, we are now on both SoundCloud and iTunes. So look for those links in the description down below. Definitely, definitely check us out there. Anything you can do to support us is greatly appreciated. Be sure to, if you haven't already, check out our spinoff show, Freeze Frame, our sidebar to our discussions on television and film, typically related to the topics that we're talking about in our main show. Last week, we talked about one of the best, worst movies of all time, The Room, with The Last Jedi coming out. We've got some fun Star Wars discussions to get into. I won't spoil exactly what we're going to be doing, but you're going to want to tune in for that. Next week on the main show, we'll be talking about a sequel 20 plus years in the making, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. That'll do it for us here. For Nate Lungarini and for Jake Ensler, I'm Andrew Auger. Keep that seat warm, everyone, and may the Force be with you.